Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Mag, and in this week's broadcast, I brought back one of my favorite firearms experts, E.J. Owings, to discuss a topic that deserves some serious respect and a lot more training than I'm sure you're probably giving it right now. I'm talking about how to defend yourself when you're forced to engage multiple attackers with your firearm. Now, we talk a lot about how criminals often run in packs or attack in teams in order to keep the odds in their favor. So, you're going to really want to listen hard to the tactics that EJ has to share with us. He's speaking from both battlefield experience as well as combat on the street in real gunfights. So, this is a rare peek into the no BS stuff that could really save your life one day. Now, I promise you're going to love this episode. It went a little bit long, which is really good for you because it's just loaded with really good tactics. So, let's not waste any more time and jump right in. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. In self-defense circles, the worst case scenario is usually described as one where you're facing multiple attackers, possibly a gang who's targeted you as their next victim. Now, even if they're unarmed, you're now fighting for your life because taking a beating or ending up on the ground and getting stomped on by multiple thugs is very likely to get you killed. But what if we change up the scenario a little bit? What if instead of facing down two, three, or more attackers armed with only your fists, you're now doing so with a legally concealed firearm? Now, to a lot of people, that's like waving a magic wand at the problem. It's like, hey, I have a gun. Problem solved. But is it? Just as the rules change when you're defending against multiple attackers in hand-to-hand combat, so too does it change when you're legally armed and not facing a single paper target down at the range. So what are the tactical strategies that you need to know in order to protect yourself and those you love with a firearm when you're attacked by a gang of violent criminals? That's exactly what we're here to find out with our special guest today. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And joining us today is someone with not only street experience, but also battlefield experience in facing multiple attackers, E.J. Owens. E.J., welcome back to the program, man. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you back. I love the, tr- I love the stuff that you've got on your website and everything, and um, this is going to be a, a really – there's going to be a lot of stuff in here for people. Now listen, everybody, E.J. is a professional firearms trainer, author, and consultant whose company, Legally Concealed, trains responsibly armed citizens in advanced firearm tactics for personal protection. He's received multiple firearm instructor certifications from the NRA and from legendary expert John Farnham, but here's where EJ's training separates him from the herd of most other instructors. The tactics that he teaches aren't based on just regurgitated theory. He's a former military officer and contractor who knows what it's like to carry a weapon for personal protection every day in dangerous environments and how to use it in your own defense. And not just on the battlefield, EJ's training was put to the test when he found himself shopping at a local store during an armed robbery, a robbery that he thwarted with his Glock. Now that incident, as well as all of his specialized training and combat experience, led him to develop one of the most advanced concealed carry video courses available anywhere, 
And you can learn more about his training at his website at www.concealedcarryweapontactics.com. Okay, Jay, let's let's go ahead and dig right into these questions. We've got a lot of stuff to cover, but you know, most people out there are practicing in that typical like single lane down at the range against one single paper target. What do you think are the most important shifts in tactical thinking that are needed for someone to really broaden their defense skills for engaging a multiple attacker threat? I mean, how exactly are the dynamics different in comparison to like a single person shootout? Well, first and foremost, um, bad guys are not always cowards. Uh, we, we think that, uh, you know, when we whip out our magical talisman, you know, the smoke wagon that we've got sitting on our hip, that, um, you know, he's going to run in panic and fear. Uh, but understand this, that the person that would try to take your life or take something from you um, with a weapon is not always a coward. And drugs and alcohol, uh, and you, when you combine the both, both of them together, they provide a significant amount of false confidence that leads them to do dynamic and really crazy things to you. Uh, and things that you and I normally just don't think about. It would not be in our thought process um, to to pull a gun on somebody to take something from them, uh, whether it be a purse or their life. So um, you know they're not going to just run when you pull your gun all the time. I think especially uh, when you've got multiple attackers, right? Because I mean that boosts their confidence even more. And when they work in pairs, yeah. Now they don't always work together in unison but they are working against you. Uh, so in that case, you have two different, what I call threat vectors, and that is the direct line of approach that that attack has to you. So instead of just one, and, and we always envision that it's going to be, you know, mono and mono here, you know, face-to-face, uh, kind of like a little high school fight in the, in the locker room. It's not going to be like that. Uh, you know, they're going to take different angles, and most of them are flanks, so to your left or to your right. Uh, and then now you have two different lines of approach. And so your decision-making has now doubled. Your time to make a decision has just decreased by half. Mm. So you also, you know, with, with knowing that you have two different threat vectors, two different lines of approach that you have, or more, or more okay, yeah. uh, you have to be aware of your space at all times. So your movement um, can be significantly reduced. You know, if the, if the guy you know that you're envisioning is in front of you, and we all have these two or three scenarios in which we're victorious um, in using our firearm for personal defense or defense of others, uh, and, and that's normal, but it doesn't mimic reality. And, and you have to be aware of your space and movement. So if the guy is in front of you in your, you know, your scenario here, especially like at a static range, um, you know, you have the left or the right or maybe even back to cover that you that are options for you. But with multiple attackers, that left side may have an attacker there. The right side may have an attacker there. So you have to be aware of where you can go in your space and what you can do in that space. Uh, you know, is there cover in that space? Is there an exit? Because I'll tell you, any day of the week and twice on Sunday, if you can get away and not have to use your gun, that's victorious. Okay, and we're all looking for victor- victory here. Okay, yeah, you know, when you if you had to take a life, 
regardless of you're 100% in the right, it's hands down, there is no question about it, it's still a life-changing event that you can never go back from. Now, the, the models for coping are different, but it's still life-changing. And, you know, and I pray that no one ever has to do that. But should you find yourself in that situation, movement and now time have just decreased, if not by half, if not by two-thirds. So you have to be aware of what you can, where you can go and what you can do in that space. And then if, if bullets equal time and time equals life, do you really thought? Do you really think you brought enough ammo? Because I I, I see so many students that will come in uh, to a class and they're carrying a um, a six shot three eighty, and then they take that off and they strap on their war belt with their drop leg holster and slam in you know a Glock seventeen. And I'm like, well, what are you? Why are you carrying that gun? Why are you bringing that? Why'd you put your other gun in the car? Well, I'm training on this gun. I said, but you carry that other gun to defend your life with. Why are you not training on it? Well, this has some more ammo, and I can keep you know training longer. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. That's that's an area I think. Uh, it's probably I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into that a little bit a little bit deeper. But you know what you say is it makes a lot of sense. It's like there's almost like a math to it. You know, there's a formula that people don't really realize. I mean, there there is a science to this as well as the art, as well as so much more. And you're right. I mean, a lot of people don't think about that mental factor that goes into this sort of a thing. There's a lot of bravado about out there about, you know, man, I would shoot that guy's head off or whatever. And and I know you know being in combat, and, and I've experienced as well, it's a whole different thing when you actually have a finger on the trigger and, and somebody's life is in your hands, even if, you know, that is a bad guy. You know, it's it's still, there's a mental, there's mental, um, you know, uh, casualty there, even if you do have to take a life. So that's a that's a interesting area. You know, I'll tell you, Jeff, uh, in a gunfight, ammunition and good friends are hard to find. Yeah, that's right. Well put. I'm going to get lots of little sayings out of this, like smoke wagon, I think, is my new favorite saying of the day. <laughs> um, you know, we had, uh, on that mental note, we did have a, a question that was submitted from one of our, our readers, TJ Page, and and I thought this was really good. He says, there's so much information to process in a gunfight in order to respond the right way. How can I slow down my mind during an attack to be able to process the information and make the best tactical decisions? And this kind of goes with what you were saying about how your reaction time is going to is going to decrease. So, what, are there any mental tricks or any any way that you train people so that they can better process information more quickly to be able to keep up with with that that reaction time decrease? Well, we definitely know that under stress, um, we have a a physical change, a, a physical chemical change uh, reaction that happens. You know, the surge of adrenaline causes you know your fine motor skills to be able to touch your 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 fingers to your thumb uh, really quick kind of goes away and and you know throughout the shooting world especially on the instructor side of the house uh, we we call that you know flippers hands you know your hands turn from from you know this this great little thing where I can punch um, you know keys on a keyboard to uh, caveman hands mm. and things don't work very well uh, but the most important thing that happens. Uh, that we need to be aware of is that we can get into tunnel vision um, and we stop using our peripheral vision. 
So what I like to, to train our guys is, is when you're in that close quarter situation where, you know, time is of the essence, um, you need to keep both eyes open when you're shooting. And we will train, you know, bringing the gun up and presenting it straight forward from the nose. And that keeps the front of the barrel, you know, the front sight in line with the eyes. Um, and the nose is going to be directly uh, toward the threat. It's going to happen. Okay. You know, if I were to, to drop a brick behind you, the first thing that would turn is your head to see what would happen, not your body. So if the gun is in line with the nose and the nose will always be in line with the eyes, then you know, your gun is directed towards that threat, and you can make a better decision. But you need both eyes open in order to be able to um, bring in that information from your peripherals. And, and that becomes a different um, mentality in training because we all want to be those you know, Captain Jack Sparrows, and we're, we're closing one eye and trying to make that pinpoint accurate shot. Uh, but understand that in a close-quarter situation, um, you know, you're shooting – like an eight inch ring at you know say five yards you could press the gun straight out keep it in line with your nose and pull the trigger you're going to hit the target and so we don't need to to necessarily you know close one eye and get a pinpoint accurate shot on the third button down from a shirt you know yeah you need both eyes open in order to receive that information because smell uh, it's not really going to bring in any, any new information. Taste doesn't bring in any new information. Hopefully, they're not touching you. So that's not bringing any uh, new information in. The only thing we can bring in is, um, you know, sound and eyes. And both our ears are are moderately open <laughs> to a degree, but um, the, both eyes definitely need to be open. Yeah, good point. You know, um, we, we we got into this a little bit, but obviously – you know, a single shot Derringer isn't going to have the same effect against multiple attackers as a full auto M4. So when choosing a personal carry weapon for concealed carry, what considerations should someone look at in choosing the best handgun for multiple attacker threat? And why are these factors important for that survival survival situation? Well, I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned earlier about my uh, the, the robbery incident and I was using my Glock. First and foremost, I'm not loyal to any gun manufacturer whatsoever. The name of my gun is Reliable. I want it to go bang every time I pull the trigger. And when the new Wackmaster 5000 comes out and it's more reliable and has proven itself more than the current gun that I carry, I will carry it. So proven reliability is of the utmost. Will it go bang Every time, and we we tend to uh, associate a price point with reliability, and that and price point and reliability have no correlation whatsoever. You're not you know, if I pay three thousand dollars for this gun, will it go bang as many times as this five hundred and fifty dollar gun? Price doesn't make a difference. So reliability. The second uh, is ammunition capacity. How many bullets does it hold, which determines at what time I have to do a reload and at what time am I out of the fight. And then the third, and I would say that all of these are important. Any one of these three could be number one. Um, but if there was a one plus, it would be this. Will you carry that gun on your body 
every day. Because if I if I had my choice between a single shot Derringer and no gun, well, I'll take the single shot Derringer. But if I had a choice between, say, a Glock 19 with 15 plus 1 and a single shot Derringer, which one would I take? I'll take the Glock. But it's not going to do you any good if you're not carrying it, if you don't have it on you. Now, that's with, a bad feeling right there. Yeah. That's a really bad feeling when something's going down and you put your hand on your hip and there's nothing there and you go, oh, that's right. I was just running to get milk and bread for the kids' uh, sandwiches tomorrow for school. I didn't think I needed it because I've been here 1,800 times and nothing ever happened before. Yeah, that's very common. You know, with that with that capacity, that always brings up the um, you know, well, okay, well, it has what kind of round do I take? What's the best stopping power? And there's always this, you know. So obviously, the bigger the round, the less rounds are going to be in the gun itself. And a lot of people are like tried and true 45 people, or you might have people that say nine millimeters. So I know you um, you have a lot of uh, you know interesting perspective on this. So in your opinion, what is that best balance of round capacity and stopping power in a caliber? Okay, so this debate is the gaping black hole of nothingness in our community. Which is why I had to bring it up. (laughs) No good can ever come of this debate because it's essentially talking about your girlfriend or your wife, and you cannot talk bad about either one. Okay, so uh, I'll tell you, I, I want as many bullets as I can get, period. If if there was a... um. You know, if there was a, a gun that held, you know, 17, 45 caliber, no, I'll better get 50 caliber round and I could conceal it on my body just as well as I do my, my personal gun now, would I carry it? I don't know because now I'm getting into uh, recoil management, follow-up shots because I'm, re- I'm responsible for every bullet that leaves my gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would not say that bigger is always better. I will say that Bigger ammo capacity is better, and you need a bullet big enough to stop the threat. And I would just ask you, what is the what are your police departments carrying? What's the FBI carrying? Because those guys are getting paid to carry a gun every day. What's the military carrying? You know, you can't go wrong with the 9 or the 40 or the 45, uh, but you can go wrong when dealing with multiple attackers by not having enough ammo. Yeah, good point. And and are you going to carry a spare mag? You know, if, if there was one pet peeve that I have, it would be you carry the gun, but you have no spare mag in your pocket. And what's the major cause of a malfunction in a, in a modern striker fire pistol today? Yeah, I'm so glad you're bringing Bad it. magazine. Yeah, absolutely. A bad magazine, man. It's not that the gun is not going to work. It's that the magazine won't allow the gun to work. So how do we fix that? Put a new magazine in. Yeah, and take care of your magazines. <laughs> you know, clean, oh, goodness. clean magazines like you clean your gun. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing. But I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay, we are talking with E.J. Owens of ConcealedCarryWeaponTactics.com about how to engage multiple attackers with your firearm. And we obviously have a lot more to get to, including tactical movement during a multiple attacker gunfight, target prioritization, 
otherwise known as Who the Hell Do I Shoot First? and practical training strategies that will take you out of the common single lane paper target mindset. All this and more are coming right up, but first, check out this special message. What if everything you knew about how to stop a violent attacker with your gun was wrong? Discover the advanced tactics you must know now to protect yourself and those you love with a firearm. Check out our free book, Stopping Power Secrets. Inside, you'll find such no-hold-barred shockers as 1. The three most common myths and misinformation shoveled out by movies and gun range know-it-alls that could get you killed in a real-life gunfight. 2. The cold, hard truth about your personal weapon's ability to be a one-shot man-stopper. 3. What coroners know about selecting the right ammo for your firearm that you don't. 4. And the simple training trick used by Abrams tank crews and commercial airline pilots that will prepare you for a real attack even better than your best day at the range don't place your family's safety in the hands of hollywood fairy tales and hearsay claim your free copy of stopping power secrets now now at www.stoppingpowersecrets.com and now back to the show Okay, we're back with E.J. Owens of ConcealedCarryWeaponTactics.com as he reveals some of his tactical strategies for multiple attacker, multiple attacker engagement in a real gunfight. We have a lot more to get to, so let's go ahead and whip right back into our interview now. E.J., we always talk about movement being one of the key survivability factors in a real gunfight. Now, that's a relatively simple concept that when you're dealing with one attacker, and we talked a little bit about this, but how, how does this change when you're facing multiple attackers, and what specific movement tactics does someone need to consider to use movement to their advantage? We talked about maybe some of the, the challenges with it, but how can we use movement in a multiple attacker uh, gunfight? Well, first and foremost, um, most everyday carriers believe that, especially concealed carriers, believe that they will catch their attacker by surprise. Uh, when you're dealing with multiple attackers, you will not surprise both. You may get one, but you will not get both. So you have to think about three things. You need to be moving to an exit to get away, moving to cover, or moving to end the fight. You only have three decisions to make. Can I get away? Can I get somewhere where I can protect myself, or can I move to a position of advantage where I can end the fight? And so movement is the key. Where are you going to go? Now, many times um, we go into our favorite restaurants, our favorite stores, grocery stores, and so on and so forth, and there's an air of complacency that we have because we know when we go through the grocery store that we have to pick up the cart and we move into the produce aisle. We've done it a hundred times. Have you ever seen in your grocery store that little uh, flower area over there where that girl make, you know, does up the flowers that you're going to buy your wife because you forgot it was her anniversary and that there's a door back there? Where does that door lead to? Hey, there's a service door over to my right. You know, there's a uh, there's a door over by the produce section. I have I really never noticed before. Where does that lead to? You need to start 
you know, taking uh, advantage of the time and opportunity that you have in your different restaurants and stores, especially in the malls, of where these exits are. Where would cover be? If I had to go right now, where could I go? And I call it mental gymnastics. Um, they're fun little games that you can play that no one knows that you're playing when you're sitting in a restaurant. And ask yourself, what would I do if it happened right now? Where could I go? Where would I take my family? Could I flip over the table and provide some you know, mild form of, of cover? Where would my position of, of advantage be? What would be behind my intended target that I would need to take an angle on so as not to hit? What would the backstop be? But you're not going to surprise both at the same time. So you have to get yourself in a position where you can respond in case you don't you know, take care of the first threat because you're not as great a shot under stress as you thought you would be. Where are you going to be able to to go to engage both. And it's just opening your eyes and playing these games. See, when you when you hang around guys who, who are shooters, you know, if, if you and I were to go out to a restaurant or something, uh, you know, we would probably talk a little bit. Hey, dude, I got a back door over there. Hey, servers are coming in out over that door. Okay. Uh, glass, glasses up front and watch the glass. Counter, uh, small little pieces of wood. It's not, it's not going to stop a bullet. You know, these are things you and I would think about uh, and we would devise a game plan. Maybe it's in our head. Maybe it's kind of a, you know, a nonchalant nod, but you would know that I was thinking about it. Well, and, a, and stop being complacent. Stop taking things for, for granted. What about the um, – so one thing on that um, I've gotten used to doing, because it's always hard for me to remind myself, okay, what would you do now? Okay, you know, so it's it's kind of like everybody kind of gets in that, that zombie mode of going throughout their day. One of the things that I've, I've found kind of useful um, is I, I, I've been started wearing this Fitbit. It's like a, you know, it's like a bracelet you wear, and it, it monitors your how many steps you take and your fitness and things like that. You can do quite a bit with it, but... You know, it's a it's this black little band that I wear that monitors, and when I hit ten thousand steps for the day, it vibrates. Hmm. And so, what I've gotten used to doing is, I mean, first of all, it's supposed to be like, you know, it's kind of like a, hey, good job, you got ten thousand steps in today. You're gonna, you know, Oprah would be very proud of you. But you know, I I <laughs> I, I kind of use it now as when it goes off, that's my signal. It's like my surprise signal. Okay. There's a, there's an active shooter right now, or you're being held up right now. Look around you. What would you do? And I, I kind of it's like it's like a, an exercise I get every single day of surprise. Here you go. And that could happen. It's not going to happen every day at five o'clock. It might happen on a busy day, you know, at two o'clock when I'm at a restaurant or something, you know. So it could it could happen anywhere. And I guess that's the the point of it. So I've, I've found that to be very useful. But here's here's something I want to ask you about, um, like using movement to your advantage, because you also said, you know, the other the other way is to use it use movement to end the attack. And when you do have multiple attackers there and you have their movement as well, are there ways to, you know, even though you might be limited in whether you can go left or right, are there ways to use movement, like even use them against each other? We talk about this in, in multiple attacks, attacker scenarios, like trying to line up your attackers, which I got to tell you, in hand-to-hand combat, I've never seen that work. It works really great in like the relaxed, you know, dojo where people kind of play along with it and oh, I'm lined up, I can't punch you sort of a thing, but but I think maybe it's it would be 
easier or better or more feasible for that if you've got somebody with a firearm and they're not trying to get over their buddy to to punch you, but you know, line of fire is a big factor in any gunfight. And so are there ways to use their movement, your movement, and line of fire to your advantage in a multiple attacker engagement? See, with a gun, uh, in order, you, you only have to hit somewhere on the body in order to change their movement or projected movement. Hmm. So if you had an elbow sticking out from where they were hiding, you could, you know, if you hit the elbow, he's going to probably react, you know, unless he's just, you know, so hopped up on, on drugs, but he's going to react. When he reacts, he's not thinking about you. He's guarding himself. You know, what happens when we get hurt? We put our hand over it, right? Mm-hmm. Even as a little kid, we've done that. So for that split second, he's not focused on you. Do you move? Or did he present more of his body for you to shoot? Mm. You don't have to have the perfect heart or crane or cranial shot. You know, that's what we want on the range, right? I mean, that's what we're, hey, you know, we're always judging. Is that a lethal shot? Is that a not a lethal shot? But I'll tell you, any shot on target can cause that target to move into a better position for you to end the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, making sure that we get a round on the target is critical. Yeah. Uh, you know, and when you change that line of attack, uh, you know, say you, you know, you shoot that elbow, right? And then he takes a step out. Are you going to stay there and shoot again? Are you going to move and catch a better angle and shoot? You know, those are all decisions you're going to have to make. Yeah. Because if you're dealing with multiple attackers, you may have him in your sights, but the other guy may have you in his sights. Yeah. Well, and it might be counterintuitive to what people might think about as well. I mean, a lot of times you might think about getting away from the threat, but, you know, when you're looking at kind of those angles, even like an angle of view, if if one attacker is behind another, the further are you are the further you are away then you know, that kind of opens up that angle where they can shoot you. But while it might be counterintuitive to go forward, um, by doing so, you actually sh- like can kind of make a more narrow angle for what the people behind that lead person can can shoot you at. I mean, they have to, you know, their angle of, of engagement narrows as well, which could mean shooting their own friend in the back. I mean, if you're going forward, it kind of changes all of that. So... But a lot of, like I said, these are some of the dynamics that change when it's multiple attackers versus one-on-one. And, uh, you know, it, it happens in an instant. So, you and know, it's very fast. Yeah. It's going to happen very, very, very fast. fast. Yeah. Um, it may seem slow to you, and that's what the stress is doing because you're, you're absorbing so much information, um, and your brain is having to process it. At just a, an astrological speed, and which is you know does not normally operate on, and then it has to tell your body what to do, and then that body has to do that that task or that skill, you know, accurately, very specific, um, and so time tends to slow down um, under stress like that. Yeah, but it's yeah. going to happen very quick, and and you're only going to get 
a couple of chances to make good decisions. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, EJ, whenever we talk about multiple attacker scenarios from the standpoint of like hand-to-hand combat, the question always comes up about who should I hit first and should I just focus on fighting one person at a time or try to engage all of them the best I can, like, you know, I'm some ninja. I'm, I'm sure people have the exact same question about engaging multiple attackers with a firearm. So when it comes to prioritizing and engaging multiple multiple threats, what are the most critical tactics that someone has to know in order to survive? Okay, well, first, uh, you know, you mentioned hand-to-hand, mm-hmm. all right? And hand-to-hand, I, I just want to throw this caveat out before we get into this because it's really it's very imperative that your listeners understand this. In a hand-to-hand uh, fight, you are the weapon or you're using a simple tool, uh, i.e. a knife or a stick or something like that. You are reliable. You know your hands and arms and feet work. When you left out this morning, you knew they work. In a gunfight, your weapon is a complex mechanical device that relies on a $2 spring to uh, to activate a handheld explosion. So maintenance and is key to making sure that that weapon is going to be reliable when you need it. And so, you know, it all comes down to that $2 trigger spring. <laughs> so you have to make sure that it's in work, good working order before you leave out today. We don't have that problem with uh, hand-to-hand, you know. I have five fingers. Hands are all good. Arthritis is not kicking today. I'm good. Let's roll out. Now, to answer your question, because we're relying completely on a mechanical device in this scenario, uh, when you're engaging multiple attackers, how do you decide you know, the, the, who's most critical, who we need to, to shoot first? Uh, it comes down to four things. First is what we've talked about before, the threat vector, the direct line of attack to you. Okay, who has the best line of attack to you? Second is time. Do I have time to get a gun in the fight? Do I have time to get away? Do I have time to move my kids out of the way first? All right. The third is space. Where can I go in my space? Can I get out? Can I move to cover? Can I move to a position of dominance so that I can end the fight? And then the fourth is understanding the force applied. Because we have this whole legal system that is going to judge you. And they may take two years to judge your two seconds of action. So if a guy has a closed fist punch and you whip out your smoke wagon and you drill him, yes, you ended the threat. But you may have also ended life as you know it because you're going to be seen gray and bars for the rest of your life. So you have to make sure you're within your complete legal uh, you know, ramifications in order to engage that threat. Now, we always envision that you know, the guy's going to have a gun and he's going to whip it out, just like we've seen a bank robbery, and say, this is a holdup. And we're going to say, not today, hero. This is what's fixing to happen. And I'm going to do my perfect draw, and I'm going to get my sight on him, and my murder-death-kill bullets are going to be right on target and the guy's going to fall down and then there's going to be streamers and a parade and a marching band in my favor and all these these women are going to be laying at my feet praising me 
for these, this great heroic deed that I did. You have to meet the force applied in order to stay out of a whole bunch of legal problems. So if he's got a gun, great. If he's got a knife, well, we need to think about that. Is he within striking distance or is he across the parking lot? And so, you know, you have to understand if I've got two attackers or more, and then nowadays, goodness, if you watch the news, they're working in threes and fives. You have that many different threat vectors. And how are you going to know it if you don't keep both eyes open? And what about the the engagement of them? Is it does it change? I mean, are you looking to put, um, you know, do you fight one like in multiple attackers? I mean, we typically a lot of us will will follow a path of fighting one person at a time. Like it's hard to like jump up in the air, do a split kick, kick two people in the face at one time, or even if you just try to you know punch somebody one time and then go and try and punch another guy, you know, you might have had a really crappy you know slug on the first guy and all of a sudden he's back in the fight and now you're surrounded so when you have a firearm that you can use to engage is it better to attack one at a time until he goes down and move to another i know this is kind of a changing dynamic that happens but is there any sort of a a methodology to to use as a base foundation should you should you focus in on like you know Getting getting around in multiple targets as quickly as possible, and going and, and seeing who's still a threat. Like, what's your what's the best foundation? Yeah, so uh, there are a lot of different methodologies that go into this, and it is purely a methodology. But I'll tell you that um, even in say the competition IDPA world, uh, it, it they will mimic what we do in the combat world, and that is get a hit on each threat and then come back and follow up should you need to. Because once you put a hit on that threat, you've done what? You've changed his dynamics, you've changed his momentum, and now you can move on to somebody else. And for that split second, he's not dealing with you. Now, Murphy is always out there, and luck favors the bold. But you have something going against you, and that is time. Because it could be three-on-one, it could be five-on-one. So you have to make sure that you can get contact on each target so as to reset the time factor to come back and follow up. Now, that's I'm, I'm speaking strictly in a combat environment mm-hmm. because in combat I have no liability or the liability is not nearly what it is here in the civilian world. Yeah. In the civilian world, I'm responsible for every bullet. So you need to deal with the threat as accurately as you can and then move to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, and on the battlefield, somebody that's running away can get shot in the back because you know that they're going to be with their unit and fighting again, whereas uh, an attacker who is running away to mommy and you shoot him in the back there, you've got a whole other you know, legal situation ahead of you, too. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, your listeners really have to understand when you're yeah. dealing with multiple attackers that you need to understand the full definition of lethal force. Yeah. Gotcha. It's yeah. tough, man. This is tough. This is, this is not a, a, you know, a one and done here, you know, because if it was easy, 
um, we would probably wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, not yeah, a lot of people are having, uh, you know, conferences on how to tie shoes. Yeah. And it's always easier to judge something in a, in a relaxed courtroom when you're not the person who is, you know, had the adrenaline skyrocketed and your kids hiding behind you afraid, you know. So it's always, you know, but that's a whole, that is a whole other topic. Um, let's talk about training some because, I mean, this is, you know, this is one thing, but, you know, training for a multiple attacker threat can be really challenging when most people really do find themselves limited by their typical single-lane gun range scenario. So short of signing up for an expensive force-on-force, munition type tactical school, can you offer our listeners any sort of like multiple engagement, multiple attacker engagement drill that they can do either at the range or even at home so they can prepare for this type of a threat? Yeah. Um, first of all, you need to understand that there are you're training one of three factors at any given time, knowledge, skill, or ability. And so when we're talking about going into a restaurant or going into your, you know, your supermarket or whatever and looking for the doors and that kind of stuff, you're imparting knowledge. You know, you're learning, you're educating yourself, uh, and therefore you're bringing information in so that you could use it later should you need to. That's knowledge, right? Then you have skills, right? We, we, a lot of your shooting schools train on skills. So, you know, get a firm firing grip, you know, while the gun's in the holster and then drawing and, and, and aiming and hand placement and trigger reset. That, those are all skills. And then ability is being able to, you know, say in a gunfight, say move and shoot, uh, you know, reload and move, move to cover and that kind of stuff. So, you know, knowledge, skills and ability. Well, ability is, de- is dependent upon competence. And that is to be able to apply knowledge and skills together. So here's what I'll tell you. Um, you need to make sure that you understand what you are going to train on. Okay? It's not a, it's not a buffet because they're all important. So in this case, if I was, if I was working at um, a static range, you know, or a hang the target up and I push the little button and it goes out to wherever I feel that I can be, you know, Clint Eastwood at, then, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do in order to train yourself under the knowledge, skills, and abilities that would be required in order to engage multiple targets. And it's simple. So I've got one for you. If you were to go to your favorite little store and buy a piece of poster board, and some three-by-five cards. Cut your poster board up into four sections. So you have four pieces of poster board. Draw five different shapes, five different numbers on that poster board, and that becomes your target. Take your three-by-five cards. Put one shape of the five on each card, put one number of the five on each card. Now you have 10 cards, right? Lay those cards face down. Run that target that you made out to a specific distance. Flip over the three by five card and shoot what it tells you to shoot. So triangle, shoot the triangle. Five, shoot the five. When you've got that down, now flip over two cards and shoot both cards. Triangle on a five, circle on a two. And if you really want to amp it up, 
have your shooting buddy hold the three by five cards and call them out and shoot those. Because what you're doing is you're you're getting audible information, you're processing it, visually locating the different targets, and then enacting the skills required to engage those targets. Yeah, you're incorporating a lot of those a lot of those skills you've been talking about in that and the mental the mental stuff that goes into it as well as all the physical skills. Now Jeff, if you really want to amp up your game, buy some of those little plastic training rounds and have your shooting buddy throw a training round in there so to simulate a malfunction. And see if you can do your tap rack bang and get the gun back in the fight while you're engaging multiple you know, targets. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, it's very simple and it's very cheap. Uh, you don't need to have all these whiz-bang uh, glorified color targets and reactive targets and stuff because you understand what you're training on. Knowledge, skill, and ability. And you may not be successful at once. That's fine. That's why we're working on this. There's a very low-cost, effective way to train for multiple engagements. Yeah. Cool. EJ, awesome information, man. I mean, there's a lot of practical advice in there for, for people to both training as well as for tactics. And I really appreciate you taking, taking some time with us today. Look, everyone, as you can see, just having a firearm isn't enough to feel confident that you're going to be able to protect yourself and your family. You, you really, you never know what kind of conditions that you're going to be facing. And typically your attacker has the advantage, especially when there are two, three or four or more of them. I highly suggest that you go right now and check out EJ's Everyday Carry video course because the information that we've covered today is really only a tip of the iceberg of what he has to offer. There's some amazing information there. In fact, on the on the page, you'll find some video training in there that you know will will give you a taste of of what's included with the um with the video course. So definitely go check that out. It's over at his website at www.concealedcarryweapontactics.com. Now, until our next survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson from Modern Combat and Survival saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.